Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everyone. The church, all the kids, you can go out now. If anyone's a guest, just send them that way. I think Sophie's gone, so hey. Um, Good morning, everyone. That was a lovely festive start to the morning, wasn't it? How gorgeous. Thank you, Joel. Well, this morning, we've got the pleasure of having Joel um, doing the talk, so I'm really excited to hear about that. And he's asked me to read you this story to begin. So, it's called The Rabbi's Gift. The story concerns a monastery that had fallen upon hard times. Once a great order, as a result of waves of anti-monastic persecution in the 17th and 18th centuries and the rise of secularism in the 19th, all its branch houses were lost and it had become decimated to the extent that there were only five monks left in the decaying mother house. The abbot and four others, all over 70 in age, clearly it was a dying order. In the deep woods surrounding the monastery, there was a little hut that a rabbi from a nearby town occasionally used for a hermitage. Though through their many years of prayer and contemplation, the old monks had become a bit psychic, so they could always sense when the rabbi was in the hermitage. The rabbi is in the woods, the rabbi is in the woods, they would whisper to each other. As he agonized over the imminent death of his order, it occurred to the abbot at one such time to visit the hermitage and ask the rabbi if by some possible chance he could offer any advice that might save the monastery. The rabbi welcomed the abbot into his hut, but when the abbot explained the purpose of his visit, the rabbi could only commiserate with him. I know how it is, he exclaimed. The spirit has gone out of the people. It is the same in my town. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. Hang on. So the old abbot and the old rabbi wept together. Then they read parts of the Torah and quietly spoke of deep things. The time came when the abbot had to leave. They embraced each other. It has been a wonderful thing that we should meet after all these years, the abbot said. But I have still failed in my purpose for coming here. Is there nothing you can tell me, no piece of advice you can give me that would help me save my dying order? No, I'm sorry, the rabbi responded. I have no advice to give. The only thing I can tell you is that the Messiah is one of you. No. 
When the abbot returned to the monastery, his fellow monks gathered around him to ask, well, what did the rabbi say? He couldn't help, the abbot answered. We just wept and read the Torah together. The only thing he did say, just as I was leaving, it was something cryptic, was that the Messiah is one of us. I don't know what he meant. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered this and wondered whether there was any possible significance to the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us. Could he possibly have meant one of us monks here at the monastery? Well, if that's the case, which one? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes, if he meant anyone, he probably meant Father Abbot. He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas. Certainly, Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly, he could not have meant Brother Elred. <laughs> Elred gets crotchety at times. But come to think of it, even though he is a thorn in people's sides, when you look back on it, Elred is virtually always right, often very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Elwood, Elred, but surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so passive, a real nobody, but then, almost mysteriously, he has a gift for somehow always being there when you need him. He just magically appears by your side. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course, the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant me. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet supposing he did, suppose I am the Messiah. Oh God, not me. I couldn't be that much for you, could I? As they contemplated in this manner, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one of them might be the Messiah. And on the off off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. Because the forest in which was situated, sorry, because the forest in which it was situated was beautiful, it so happened that people still occasionally came to visit the monastery, to picnic on its tiny lawn, to wander along some of the paths, even now and then go into the dilapidated chapel to meditate. As they did so, without even con conscious of it, they sensed this aura of extraordinary respect that now began to surround the five old monks and seemed to radiate out of them and permeate the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely attractive, even compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery more frequently to picnic, to play and to pray. They began to bring their friends to show them this special place and their friends brought their friends. Then it happened that some of the younger men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more with the old monks. After a while, one asked if he could join them, then another and another. So within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order, and thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality in the realm. Rafiq is one of those friends that you know you need to have in your life, but can be very irritating at the same time. Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I've asked for a little bit longer to talk today with us drawing to the end of the year, and I feel like... Um, the things I'm going to bring to you today is kind of an accumulation of the last 20 years of my life, in a way. Um, 
all in, what, five pages. Um, and I know that Chris used to say that um, it was in the shower that kind of she heard God the most. And I at one point thought this week, I'm going to have to have, stop having showers because every time I got in the shower, something else would come to me and something else would come to me. Don't worry, I, you know, I have had showers. Um, but it is interesting how when you get a thought and then when you ponder it, how then all this other stuff starts, you know, piling in. And it gets to the point where, you know, you feel like you, you need almost a month to talk to people about the point that you want to give. Um, so I hope I've summarized it enough tonight to at least give you some things to take away and have a think about. And you might find as well as I'm talking today that some of the things that I'm mentioning are things that you've remembered from the journey over the last, especially if you've been with us uh, for the last 20 years, um, that are kind of like marker points in your journey. Uh, the opening video that was played, we've played it many times before. Simba's father is um, tragically killed and he feels alone. His father then reveals himself only to tell Simba that his feeling of separation is an illusion. And if he will only remember who he is, he will find his rightful place in the circle of life and ultimately liberate the animal kingdom. Now, how many of you heard the saying, those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it? Have you all heard that, that statement before? One of the things I have realized in recent times is that it's very easy to have learned something by looking at history theoretically, or should we say, with hindsight. But when faced with a situation whereby we are challenged to apply what we have learned to real-world events, whether individually or on a collective level, one must be humble enough to acknowledge we often fail to deliver. From the beginning of time, humans have found themselves in a repetitive cycle of freedom versus slavery and liberation versus bondage. So one could ask, why don't we ever learn? One of the reasons for this could be because we tend to look at the consequence and outcomes of past events, all whilst never truly learning or being taught why it was caused or occurred in the first place. We have also seen with our own journey in the context of religion here in Kew, we can be mistaught, bringing us to incorrect conclusions about ourselves and the world around us. Now, many may ask, why does it matter? Have you heard that before? I don't get why we're bothered about history. Why does it matter? Well, humans, you see, are conscious beings. We are a species that are not born with inbuilt knowledge. Some people believe we are. We're actually not. Thinking is actually not an automatic function. Your brain is an organ that you train over time. We achieve knowledge and understanding through discovery and learning, debate and conversation, disagreement and conflict, Interestingly, when you look up the main difference between animals and humans, it's our ability to reason. Makes me think of the scripture, come now, let us reason together. In the early church, the ecclesia was a place where reasoning could take place. Now, the ecclesia was the original word for the church. And, you know, you can go and listen to a whole heap of teaching about that, of the difference between church in the modern way that we use it and the early meaning of the word ecclesia, was a place where conversation was welcomed. And in the process, it created the perfect environment for man's mind and spirit to flourish. One of the reasons why I believe society is facing the struggles it is today is because cancel culture and a generation whereby preserving one's feelings is held as more important than uncomfortable decisions 
And the result is the suppression of thoughts and ideas that are required to grow. This is not only unproductive, but dangerous, as history shows us. Incidentally, it was also a cancel culture that had, had Jesus killed. I remember stumbling across an interview with a lady called Francesca, Francesca Stavrakopoulou, a professor of biblical history and ancient religion at the University of Exeter. She is an atheist and yet, get this, named the Bible as one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. She says it shows man's wrestle with finding his place in the earth, his relationship to the divine and those around him, within each and every journey, exploring, finding, and leaving truths, ideas, and solutions to the following generations. Now, I am very aware that the journey we embarked on as Q many years ago pushed some people to a point whereby texts such as the Bible were no longer seen as either useful or even necessary. I think I would put myself in that category, to be honest with you. And whilst many of us have accepted that truth can be found anywhere, I believe that one can be guilty of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, now, interestingly, the very fact that I can get up on this platform and say that I no longer saw the Bible as useful or necessary shows where we are as a community. Because the very fact that I can freely say I went on a journey where I wasn't sure whether I believed any of it shows how free we are to explore our beliefs and come and reason together. Because what's interesting is I had to strip it all right back because of all the crud that I'd been shown or learnt initially in my life, only then to almost come full circle in a way to find a much more authentic, real faith that actually actually worked for me, if that makes sense. And I know that a lot of you have also been on that journey as well. I actually put a post out on Facebook yesterday saying, I feel like I've come around in a circle uh, because Q, my family, my community, allowed me the journey to reason and explore. And the more contradictions I was able to eliminate, the more of a beautiful gospel I was able to find. Now, those who have been with us for many, many years will remember that Anth did a whole series on It's Not My Destiny to Die in the Desert. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, basically writes that the mistakes of the previous generation are written as examples and warnings for us. He states, if you think you are standing firm, take heed lest you should fall. By the way, that series is available on tape if anybody. It is definitely worth listening to, but it's on tape, somewhere in a loft somewhere. But there you go. <laughs> now, right in the midst of this long, grueling journey through the desert, we were told that Christ was there. They drank from the rock, and that rock was Christ. Manna, bread, was literally falling from heaven. But this physical manifestation of God still didn't seem to free them. This story, the whole understanding of what was happening in um, 1 Corinthians said about the children in, in, in the desert, was about Christ consciousness. An opportunity to end their bondage and slavery and deliver them to the promised land. 
They were being offered the opportunity, as Mufasa so perfectly put it in the opening video, to take their rightful place, and hear this, in the circle of Christ. And how? By realizing they were more than what they had become, and they had forgotten who they were, and therefore forgotten God. Now fast forward to the New Testament. I stand by the belief that there is no greater hijacked story than the one of Jesus. Some of you may disagree with me on that, but we can have a conversation. His life and his death, what it means, and ultimately what it represents. And these misrepresentations have been of a huge detriment to the gospel. When I mentioned earlier about being mistaught, you only need to listen to the talks from all the Wednesday nights that we did over the years, where Anthony Chris deconstructed so much of the things surrounding um, these topics. You know, we looked at um, the historical context of how a word was changed in order to ultimately fulfill an agenda of the church and, you know, Rome. And I mean, all of that was such fantastic, eye opening stuff that ultimately led us to find the truth within a story that had been so. Um, messed with in a way and and that's happening all the time in our lives you know that that we have without that um, conversation that ability to reason you can find yourself believing things that may not even be true and ultimately bring you to a place of freedom now from my reading of various psychological and philosophical principles I have realized that the Jesus story is another historical lesson that if grasped can truly transform the way we live our lives and also help us to find our rightful place within this circle of Christ. Jesus was another marker point offering us an opportunity to transform the way we think and perceive ourselves and the world around us. Now, as we head into the Christmas season, there are scriptures that many of you will have heard before. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You've probably also heard this one. They shall call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now we say these things, we hear these things, but what do they actually mean? Jesus entered a world of disease or dis-ease, confusion, full of mysticism based on faulty perceptions of who and what they believed God to be. People had become slaves to a painfully destructive narrative that simply was not true. It was a great manipulation tool for those seeking power as they could justify their actions under the guise of, well, God says. Jesus, and I put in brackets here, Christ, shows up as an objective, tangible manifestation of what God, and hear me out here, doesn't look like and challenges the way God was perceived. He enters a world where for years the masses had chosen wilderness wandering over the promised land and slavery over freedom. And repeating what I have said before when I spoke about benevolent individualism, I spoke about this a few months back, he saw the people as an expression of the divine in this very time and space the kingdom was not a mystical destination, but at hand in this very moment. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. I am in you, and you are in me. Jesus asked, and people struggle with this next one, 
Is it not written in your law that ye are gods? Yeah, but it doesn't mean like we are gods. It just means, you know what I'm saying? Now, he's just, he shattered the historical illusion that God was an external force to be attained, but rather a powerful force that resided within. Back to Mufasa. The only sin that existed was the belief of separation. Jesus taught man he was not separate from the thing that he had historically been told was a sacred cow demanding sacrifice. Remember all the lessons we had that if God demanded sacrifice, he was no different to any other God. Remember that. Jesus reveals a God that was different to every other God that was being taught, but yet somehow we managed to bring it back that God was somehow this vengeful, wrathful God that demanded exactly the same thing. How is that good news? How is that liberation? <clears throat> Jesus was a threat to the institution and establishment precisely because he removed the mysticism they relied on to hold power over their subjects. Now, if you get rid of a tribal God who demands sacrifice and wrath, then you no longer hold the leverage you need to control the masses. One of the most important statements written as Jesus breathed his last was this, and the temple curtain was torn in two. Connie and Amy, if you're listening, your favorite song, you tore the veil. You'll remember that one. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> one of the best ways to explain this is that of the emperor has no clothes. Have any of you heard that statement before? The emperor has no clothes. Now, when I was looking at this, I thought, yeah, the temple curtain that was torn into, the emperor has no clothes. They really work. And I thought, how can we get this across? Some of you may have never heard of the term before. And Danny found this absolutely brilliant video to show that the meaning of the emperor has no clothes. So if we just play that now, and then I'll go back to it. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely love that. <clears throat> All right, let's see where I'm at. Now, interestingly, so I want you to keep that in your mind and we're going to go back to the temple curtain. Now, it represented a barrier between the people and the holy place, a.k.a. that's where God was. Now, when this was torn, as Jesus breathed his last, the whole point of it was that it revealed that what was behind the curtain was empty. Initially, People grasped that the holy place was within them, this newfound understanding. You know, Jesus has revealed himself. He's told us that the kingdom is within us. Now, Paul's writings through the New Testament and letters quickly changed to seeing how these same people had forgotten about their recent liberation. He even said, do not be tangled again to the yoke of bondage, for Christ makes us free. What did Jesus mean by, I am the way, the truth, and the life? It was a philosophy of freedom guiding people to the promised land, the same Christ that had tried to deliver people to the promised land way back with the children of Israel. It was the same philosophy. Now back to the video. The emperor has no clothes can also be referred to as a concept named the sunk cost fallacy. The phenomenon whereby a person is reluctant to abandon a strategy or course of action because they have invested so heavily in it, even when it is clear that what they believed was a lie and that abandonment is more beneficial. Now, I'm sure many of us have been involved in endeavours, projects, movements, 
even our journey here in Q, where you become so attached to what you do or believe that you force yourself to remain loyal to it, even after it's revealed to be naked and abandoning the project would have been a far healthier, freer course of action. I think that's really important, that just there. This sunk cost fallacy that we can experience today is just the same as what the people in Paul's writing were experiencing. And along with this came, get this, the slow stitching up of the temple curtain and a slow return to slavery and bondage and the surrendering of power back to the established authorities. You tore the veil to, really, to see that there was nothing behind it. You had the opportunity to see Christ and be Christ in the cycle of Christ. And yet, because of fear and acknowledging that maybe what we believed wasn't actually true, it was too uncomfortable, so what do we do? We start stitching back up the curtain. And this happens cyclically in life. This isn't just biblical. The reason why I've said this is because we're actually seeing it happen all, all the time. Now, do you not find it fascinating, and I love this, that after Jesus' death, we went from this, Word being made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, to penal substitutionary atonement and Jesus appeasing the wrath of God in order that we can be forgiven. I mean, we made Jesus into a sacrificial animal and taught that our lives should also be a reflection of this. Martyrdom was seen as a virtue. Anybody remember that? Well, certainly, that's what I was taught. This isn't the cycle of Christ. This is the cycle of bondage and unworthiness. All it does, this narrative, is encourage a perpetual state of self-effacement and unearned guilt. That isn't the gospel of Christ, and nor is it good news, and it will never be good news. Paul spends letter after letter. I used to think that Paul went on and on and on, right? but I kind of now understand why he was going on and on and on, right? In that he realized so much of what the point was, was now getting missed, but he himself was then trying to reintroduce regulation to stop the point being missed, which then also meant that Christ was missed, if you see what I mean. So it was like this, all of them were just trying to figure out how it worked. Um, but his point was, if you're not careful, History will repeat itself again and you will die in the desert just like your forefathers because the Christ which was revealed hasn't been understood and you've stitched back up the curtain. You see how it works, right? It's a parallel, a lesson to be learned. This story, the whole thing, whether it be in the desert, whether it be um, Jesus revealing the Christ, it was about grasping Christ within us. The point was incarnation. The point was word made flesh. The point was any one of you is or can be the Messiah. We've come full circle. Some of you will believe that this somehow plays Jesus down. Now, my response to this might shock some of you. It does and it doesn't. Some of you will be like, ooh, I wasn't expecting that. It does and it doesn't, right? Jesus was a catalyst like the rock was. An agent that provokes significant change or action. 
just like the manna from heaven and the rock in the desert that was giving water. The point isn't Jesus as a man. The point is the Christ that's revealed. In him, in you, in the rock, in the manna, Christ in you, the cycle of Christ. Do you get that? So why has all this been said? Where is your sunk cost? What's your sunk cost? What curtain are you stitching up? What child or thing has called out your nakedness? What history is stopping you finding your rightful place in the circle of Christ? Which part of your history do you find most difficult? Is it even true? Or have you or others mistaught the story? Will you get curious about it? Will you reason with it? Will you wrestle with it? It's a question of settlers versus pioneers, temple dwellers versus tent pitchers. To get out of the desert, you have to have a tent that you can move with. Some prefer the temple because it provides certainty. A tent is far less glamorous and far less secure. It's the temple as a rigid structure that Jesus said needs to go, as, that what, it's, as it's that that was becoming the sacred cow. Remember, you are the holy place. Why do we endorse that which is naked or having no clothes? Why do we endorse it? Really one answer. They said it on their pride, but I also think at the, at the root of it all is fear. The last two years have revealed a lot of this, particularly. It's been happening forever, but particularly the last two years. Not only on a large scale, but many are doing it on a personal level. I said it a few months back. Who or what has bewitched you? For so many years, we have felt held fast to a certain common narrative. And in spite of whether it was actually working for us or not, or held any truth, we remained loyal to it. So in closing, before Danny comes and sings, I hope that's made a lot of sense to you and I've taken you on a journey where I am. When we had our Christ moment, we realised the common narrative had no clothes. But rather than covering ourselves up, we decided to accept our nakedness in reckless abandon and through this changed the course of history. We simply were not going to go back to the way it was. We were going to take our rightful place in the circle of Christ and rather than repeating history and dying in the desert, become, as Claire mentioned last week, history makers. And we now become the objective, tangible expression of the Christ in our lives and communities. I hope that's helped today. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>